Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolf. And this week's episode started with a tweet. A tweet from somebody called Sherbet. And I'll come to that in just a second. I've had a tweet from Iolantha Rosa on Twitter. And I have been sent intelligence regarding pedways. Many thanks for that. I'm going to be checking that out. And yes, I think you're probably right as well about the Nobel Prize situation there. And welcome to this episode, which, as I say, comes from a tweet from Sherbet, who requested something on the history of the cab trade here in London. I aim to please, if you've got ideas for shows that you'd like to hear, then drop them across to me at Londonist Sound or via any of the usual routes. For this week, though, Sherbet, this show is, with thanks, dedicated to you. Hey, baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front door. from the back of a black cab. Well, from the back of a white cab, in fact. A slightly unusual set of circumstances here. Number one, the driver is in the back of the cab with me, and we are parked up in a sea of black cabs. We are somewhere in Borough, in a secret yard. It's not that secret, but it's secret as far as I'm concerned. With me in the back of the cab, Jamie Owens, who is the manager of Wedding Taxis. He's been a, a cab driver for many a long year. Hi. Hello, Quinn. <laughs> what are we doing here? Where, what uh, is this place? This is a this is an old petrol station that's been here for a long, long time, and it's got a cafe in it for taxi drivers. When I first started driving, there was loads of places like this. There was um, probably six or seven in central London, but due to the value of property in London, this is really the only large taxi drivers' cafe 
that's left available for taxi drivers to use in London. I can see a time in the future when this is obviously going to go because it's it's on prime land and it's it's obviously really valuable land. So I should imagine sometime in the future this is going to be redeveloped and this will go and then that's going to be the last of the large-scale taxi drivers' cafs left available. And you, you tell that to your side, this is not looking like a prime piece of architecture here. It is essentially a porter cabin with a bit of garden furniture outside of it. And the forecourt here is not one of those plush ones with the Marks and Spencers attached. This is diesel by the bucket load. Yeah, it used to be the busiest diesel petrol station um, in London, other than Clackett's Lane on the M25, because obviously they're servicing lorries. But it went broke many years ago and they've only recently put the diesel pumps back in another company decided to come in and service just the black cab trade so they've only they're only serving diesel there's no petrol here at all but they've they've been going about two months now and obviously that's attracting more drivers in but it's it's taken away some of the parking from the the taxi cab so some drivers are happy about it some drivers are not too happy about it at the moment what does a cab use in terms of diesel each week depends on how many hours. I mean, everyone's circumstances are different. You know, drivers tend to work to what they need to earn. So, I would I would say the minimum that a taxi would use in a week is around about 80 to £100 worth of diesel. If you're working long, you know, maybe seven days a week, you're going to be using a minimum of £140 worth of diesel a week. If you're working long shifts, then you could go up to £200 worth of diesel a week. So, it's, it's quite a big expense, quite a big chunk out of a taxi driver's money every week. When you couple that with um, the cost of either buying or renting a cab and the maintenance as well, you've really got to earn between four and £500 a week before you actually earn any money. You're focusing much more on projects that are related to, to ordinary cab driving. Yep. You do wedding taxis, I guess, mostly on the weekends. You're a podcaster to the cab trade. Just as a sidebar, why, oh, why are all the London cabs using diesel rather than something a little healthier? Basically because the government years ago were promoting diesel as the cleaner fuel. Also, diesel engines have, have got more low-down torque. Petrol engines in a heavy vehicle like this don't seem to be that economical. So that's why diesel engines were, were preferred. Obviously, in 2018, previous mayor brought out a, a, a law that said any new taxi first licensed after the 1st of January 2018 will have to be zero emissions capable so that means they're going to basically be electric taxis with a petrol or diesel generator which will charge the batteries when they're depleted so it's what they call it is a range extended electric vehicle so it's all about the change and that's going to cost everyone a fortune presumably yeah it's going to cost a lot of money the the manufacturer estimated that the cost would be about ten thousand pound more than the current vehicle um, the current vehicles around about forty grand, so you're looking at around about fifty thousand. But there, there are going to be subsidies available from TfL and the government for putting electric vehicles on the road, which will help quite considerably towards the cost. I think you're, they're, they're quoting figures of around five thousand, five and a half thousand off the price of the taxi by the way of this grant or subsidy. But even so, does that mean that all the cab drivers are currently saving up? Um, no, not really, because if you bought a taxi now. There's still a 15-year age limit, so you can still use that taxi for 15 years. So they will be, to a certain extent, exempt from the low emissions, the ultra-low emission zone. So you can still use the taxi. It's just any new taxi first licensed after the 1st of January 2018 will have to be zero emissions capable. So, for example, this one is uh, 10 years old nearly, so it can still go until 2023. But then after that, if I 
bought another new one, it would have to be an electric vehicle. We're here in the back of your white cab, your white black cab, by request. In fact, we've been asked to talk on the show about the... I can't, I can't believe we've, we haven't done it yet, the, the history of the cab trade. And how far back are we going to be going? Well, the, the London taxi trade has been licensed in London for over 350 years. It was originally licensed by a decree of one Oliver Cromwell in 1654 because of um, complaints from the public about the conduct of, of taxi drivers. So he actually licensed, initially it was, it was 200 drivers that were licensed in London. After Oliver Cromwell's reign, the, the licensing fell into disrepute and, and was reinstated a few years later. And obviously it's grown on from then. And the strange thing about it is that the London buses, or the London omnibuses as they were called back then, actually came out of the London taxi trade. Because buses back in the day were a horse-drawn buggy, weren't they, that just got bigger and bigger? Yeah, basically. I mean, the, the, the original buses were what they called uh, growlers. They're a four, four-wheeled, two-horse-drawn carriage. And obviously they just grew bigger and bigger and bigger and uh, became double-decker, sort of omnibus-type things. And But their original ones were driven by, by taxi drivers. I sort of want to do this in tandem in a way because it could be instructive to know, of course, where we've come from, but also to have in our minds where we're going to. So we'll flip back to the days of Cromwell, but what's the number of cabs on the road today? The number of cabs on the road, uh, twenty around about 25,000 drivers. Obviously, that number goes up and down with drivers that die, retire, and then new drivers that come into the trade. And around about 21,000, 21,500 licensed taxis Ever since I've been driving a cab, that's the highest proportion of actually taxis to drivers that I've ever known. It was a lot lower before because you used to have drivers that would share a cab, you know, two drivers on a cab, one would do nights, one would do days. And also the percentage when I first started driving of of drivers that rented to owned, there was more drivers that actually rented a taxi than than owned a taxi, whereas now the balance has tipped slightly, it did tip slightly the other way, but it's around about 50-50 now. It's about 50% of drivers own their taxis, 50% of drivers rent a taxi. And is the overall trend that we're getting more and more people getting involved? Or I can imagine nameless app-based drivers might be taking drivers out of the black cab market. I think it's deterring people from undertaking the knowledge because the knowledge of London is the, the, the form of qualification you have to do to become a London taxi driver. At the moment, it's taking people around about four years to complete the knowledge of London. So it's a big undertaking for someone to to, to think about before they actually become mm. a London taxi driver. So with the, the app-based circuits taking work away from the taxi trader, and don't get, they're not taking massive amounts away, but it, it, has, it has been noticeable, the amount of work that's, that's, that's gone from the taxi trade. It's obviously deterring it people from from undertaking the knowledge so the number of drivers that for, for a while the number of drivers that were signing up to do the knowledge dropped slightly transport for london have said that that number has increased again so maybe the tide's turning very slightly but we've we've been here 350 years we've uh, you know we see off the the first invasion of minicabs as they were the, the uh, gutler and everything else so hopefully we'll be here in another 350 years Let's zoom back. I was particularly taken with a phrase you used there, which was that the 200 licensed cab drivers fell into disrepute. What happened there? I think it was to do with um, 
Oliver Cromwell, really. Um, I'm not too sure. As they, and the history is a little bit sketchy as to why the licensing sort of fell apart. But when the licensing stopped, obviously the cab driver still carried on working, but they was just not licensed as such. At that point, what did the licence assure? Basically, that brought the, the driver's accountability because before there was no licence plate on a vehicle. So with having a, a licence plate attached to the vehicle, if there was a complaint to be made about the driver, then obviously the passenger could take the licence plate down and complain to, to the licensing authority. Ah, so th- this was the equivalent of having your photo ID in the front of the cab? Well, we don't have a photo ID. Oh. We have a badge, which is enamel. Well, what am I thinking? I'm, I'm certain I've seen... I was in a black cab recently. I'm certain I saw a, a photograph of the fellow on a card in the front. It may have been computer cab issued air drivers with photo cards, but a taxi driver, as, as per se, doesn't have a photo card. Private hire drivers have a photo card, but we have a round, um, what used to be enamel plated uh, badge. They were quite large at one time, and they've got smaller and smaller, and they're coloured golden, like brass coloured and green with the driver's number on it which isn't the same as the number that's on the back of the taxi because that's the taxi's um, licence plate number which are two separate separate things This feels very much like the Lone Ranger and his horse you know, operating separately, both heroic Something like that, yeah, especially <laughs> with a white stallion Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean the taxi has to go through a licensing process of its own it has to be licensed by Originally, years ago, it was the Metropolitan Police Public Carriage Office, and you'd have to take the taxi up to be what they called overhauled, and they would inspect it to make sure that the taxi was fit to go on the road for the year. There was really, really strict. Um, for instance, if they run their finger with their white glove across uh, a part of the interior and there was dust on it, they would fail it. And that's how bad they was. If they couldn't see their reflection in the paintwork on the side, they would fail it. You know, and they'd put it down as paintwork lacks lustre and you'd have to go down to the local garage and get a litre of lustre to, to spread over your paintwork. But um, <laughs> the driver obviously goes through the knowledge of London and that is, means, when I did it, it meant learning 468 routes across London. The idea being that when you first start, your, your knowledge of London is not that great. The routes crisscross each other all across London the eventual aim being that you can build up a complete picture of London in your mind so that when anybody gets in the cab and asks to be taken to a place you can immediately picture where they want to be taken to and in your mind you can see exactly what route to take and basically using your brain as a sat-nav of London because of course when I did the knowledge there wasn't such thing as a sat-nav When did you do your knowledge? I got my badge in May 1991 20, just over 25 years ago and as I say there's 468 runs now They've, with the changes in London they've reduced that down to 325 runs it hasn't made it easier because some of the runs what they've done is they've joined two together to make them a longer run and, and things like that but the aim is still the same is to build up a complete picture of London in your mind so that you can take people wherever they want to go You've basically got to learn any place that somewhere someone might get in a taxi and ask to be taken to. You need to know it, whether it's a hospital, government building, theatre, public house, any place of interest, even statues, monuments, things like that. You need to know the lot. 
Well, what immediately strikes me then is that being a cabbie in Cromwellian or around the time of Civil War or Charles II must have been a lot easier because there were only about three people living in London and it would consist of four streets and a roundabout. Probably, but there was no knowledge then. It was basically just a licensing process. Um, The knowledge was brought in after the Festival of Britain because of complaints from the public that the taxi drivers didn't know where they were going. So the Metropolitan Police instigated the the knowledge of London, which became a test for taxi drivers to learn their way around London. And obviously you had the Festival of Britain up at... um, what was the Crystal Palace at Hyde Park, which was then eventually moved down to the area we now know as Crystal Palace and then burnt down in a fire later on. But the taxi drivers ranking at the at the Festival of Britain were not necessarily drivers because of the, the great influx of people. There was obviously an, an enormous amount of work there. So the taxi drivers that were actually ranking there were not necessarily drivers that would normally work that area. So you go back years and years and years with horse-drawn carriages and things like that, the horse couldn't travel that far, so drivers tended to work areas local to, all, all the time, the same area all the time. And, of course, the Festival of Brinton gave them this opportunity to earn more money, so they travelled up to uh, to Kensington and ranked up there. And, of course, those drivers wouldn't have known the local area, so that's where the complaints originated from. That made me wonder about the reasons that people would have for taking a cab then. And I've realised... I don't necessarily know. Maybe it's dangerous to assume why people take cabs. Why, why then would people have been taking cabs, especially given the smaller size of the city? I mean, my original understanding of as to why taxi drivers came into existence in the first place, um, there was a really good book written by a guy called Philip Warren, which was the history of the London taxi trade, and he explained it that taxis originated out of families that had coaches and... They couldn't necessarily afford to pay their driver full-time, so allowed them the use of the coach to convey other passengers around. Mm. Um, and that's where the taxi drivers came from. There was obviously a lot of resistance from the lightermen at the time because they were the taxi drivers of London. Because when you, when you go back that far, London was basically the city of London, the city of Westminster, and the city without, which was Southwark. So a lot of people needed to travel backwards and forwards across the river, so the lightermen were obviously the, the taxi drivers of the day. So there was a lot of resistance when people started using carriages as taxis. And it gave these families the, the opportunity to, to have a driver but not pay them a great deal of money at the time. So that, that's where they originally started. And I would imagine because you had the City of London and it's a long walk to the City of Westminster, that's why taxis became uh, useful for people yes you know i'd never thought of that until we had the uh, sort of soho area spring into existence so you'd have needed constantly to get back from uh, what was going on in the city was that there was a lot of commerce and trade in the city over to the area where governance was taking place yeah i mean you had a lot of trade going on in the city and you you go back that far and before the, the, the original stock exchange which was the guardian royal exchange which burnt, for, burnt down for everything. Everything in London seems to burn down for some reason. But that burnt down two or three times and was rebuilt. Um, but the city traders would do their business on the streets of the city of London. I don't Just, think you should put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they would uh, trade on the city of London. Or use coffee shops. Coffee shops were a really popular place for city traders to meet and, and do their business. Um, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Probably the wrong way to put it. But Edward Edward Lloyd, who was uh, the originator of Lloyds of London, um, started his business in a coffee shop 
in in the city of London, which originally, which you know, he was insuring um, ships crossing crossing uh, whether it's the English Channel or the Atlantic or wherever de- delivering their goods. And it came from a, a sea captain who, who wanted his goods insured, and Edward Lloyd said, "I'll I'll insure your safe passage." So they came with the, the insuring of shipping, which grew into Lloyd's Lloyd's Register now, so the largest uh, insurers in the world. I was wondering whether you would see Lighterman as being part of your lineage, and it sounds as though they're separate in your mind. Yeah, I mean, I think the Lighterman wanted to dis- disassociate themselves from the, the carriage drivers. Um, so they 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 really did because obviously a lot of business was being taken away from it. It's, it. I suppose if you bring it forward years, it's like taxi drivers and private hire drivers. You know, you you could consider that we're doing very similar jobs, but we want nothing to do with them. And I think that the lighterman felt the same way back then that you know these carriage drivers were doing roughly the same job, but they really didn't want anything to do with them. Should we open that can of worms just yet, or should we leave it for later? No, we'll leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, terminology, taxi, cab, what should I be using? Um, either, really, because both... I mean, the original... Uh, a taxi driver's licence actually says London motor cab driver. Um, so the word cab came out of the, the, the carriage at the time called a cabriolet, which was a, a two-wheeled horse-drawn carriage. The word taxi comes from the meter, which was a French term taxi meter. So you combine the two together and then you end up with a full word of taxi cab. So is a minicab a taxi or a cab? Neither. A minicab? Specifically a minicab? A minicab, yeah. It's basically, uh, they've used the, word, the term minicab for years, but the, the word taxi is protected in London anyway that a minicab operator cannot use the word taxi at all. So they were given dispensation to to use the word cab, but only preceded by the word minicab. Why they wanted to call themselves minicabs, I suppose it's because they wanted to sort of show that they were doing a, offering a similar service to what taxi drivers do, but at a slightly lower rate. I wondered about the evolving, or maybe not evolving, character of the cab driver over the years and as you've been thinking about the history of the cab trade because you're a member of the uh, Worshipful Company as well of, yeah, of, of cab drivers of taxi it's, drivers it's the Worshipful Company of Hackney Carriage Drivers uh, the 104th livery company of the City of London um, I've been a member since 2000 so 16 years the aims of the Worshipful Company are to uh, basically three aims one is to uh, educate number two charity and number three to promote so they, they do the education through a, a guiding course that they offer with taxi drivers, basically so you can do tours around London. It gives you a better insight into the history of London. The charity side of the, the company is the Disney trip that we do to Disneyland in Paris for seriously ill children. Promoting the trade, it's promoted throughout the city with other livery companies, uh, businesses, institutions within the city of London. So you met a few cab drivers? Quite a few, yeah, quite a few over my years, yeah. So with your awareness of the history of the trade, what can we say about the character of the, the cab driver sort of then and now? Has the character changed at all? What are the traits of a cab driver? I think cab drivers are mad. Um, <laughs> I think you've got to really be a strange individual to drive a cab in London. There's, there's no easy way of putting it. It's a fantastic job, it really is, and 
the vast majority of people that drive taxis in London love it. They they really enjoy it. And this fallacy that people come, you know, they come into this this um, this idea that taxi drivers take people the long way round to earn a few extra pence is absolute rubbish. Most taxi drivers are really passionate about what they do. The the most profitable way of driving a taxi is to get people in and out as quick as possible and then get on to the next fare. Taking someone round a long way to earn an extra 20p really doesn't do you any favours if you're trying to make as much money as you can. So this idea of taking people, drivers taking people the long way round is absolute rubbish. With, with regards to character of drivers, I think, same as any industry, in years gone by, there were more characters around than there are now. And I think technology's got a lot to do with that, where people don't tend to interact as much on a personal level it's all twitter facebook and and things like that and if you if you go back to when i first started driving in the early 90s there was a lot of characters and you could call them very real characters left from the sort of 60s and 50s 60s 70s who sort of really stood out and eccentrics to a certain extent and you don't really seem to see that a lot in drivers these days we need an example or two i think Oh, there was a guy called Monty Sheeman. He was a, obviously a Jewish cab driver, and he kept uh, <laughs> he had this mad idea that to solve the traffic problems in London, uh, it was quite easy. All you had to do was divert the Thames at Gravesend and uh, concrete it over and make it a six-lane highway straight through the centre of London. And and these guys used to write in taxi trade papers because obviously there was no internet back then, so they they, they really were eccentric. Um, Taxi driver. One that comes to mind at the moment that's still driving a cab, really, really nice guy, a guy called Stanley Roth. Very, very well spoken man. Um, he's actually been driving a taxi in London for 60 years. And he's also a blue badge guide, so he's a qualified, fully fledged tour guide as well. Um, keeps an absolutely immaculate cab, goes to work in a shirt, tie, jacket, absolutely immaculately dressed every single day of the week. No, you know, I mean, I, I, when I'm doing weddings or if I'm picking something up from the airport, I'm wearing a shirt and tie and a pair of trousers. If I'm out working of a night, I'm wearing a pair of jeans and a T-shirt. Stanley will go out dressed the same way every day, no matter what he's doing. Even if he's just working the streets, he's still wearing a shirt, tie, everything, you know, and it, it, a real character. Yeah, there's another guy called Gerald Nathanson that, uh, that does the same thing. You, you do get a few characters about, but not as many as, as years ago. But one of the features of being a cab driver is definitely that you've got a world of your own going on here. You're the king of your domain, so you can afford to be a little bit out there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, as I said when you first asked the question, I think you've got to be a strange sort of person to drive a taxi in London because you spent 90% of your time on your own. You have to work anti-social hours. It's no good treating it as a 9-to-5 job because you'll just go broke within, within a couple of years. And you're, you're talking to strange people continuously... And, you know, as they say, most taxi drivers love to chat. They, they've got an opinion on every single subject in the world. One one person quoted as, it's a pity that, that all the people that know how to run the country are actually driving taxis. So, yeah, taxi drivers have got an opinion on everything. There's an old, another old saying that says, if you put 12 taxi drivers in a room, you'll get 13 opinions. So, What about the... if, if we? cast back as far as we can go can you detect that always having been the case that the cab drivers had to have that particular outlook or is their character changed i think years ago taxi drivers had to be quite hardy people because you're sitting on the front of a carriage that was completely open in all weathers 
um, and that's you mentioned earlier before we started the, the cab driver shelters. That's where the, the cab driver shelters came from. The first one being in St John's Wood. I can't remember the name of the person that actually started it. It was uh, an army colonel or someone who felt sorry for the taxi drivers because they were sitting out on the rank in all weathers. And there was a problem at the time of taxi drivers taking shelter in public houses and obviously having a drink to get out of the weather and warm up a little bit. Even when motorised cabs come about, they only had three doors and no windows in the front, so the driver was completely open to the elements. So you had to be quite a hard sort of person to drive a cab around London. And also no power steering, obviously no automatic gearboxes like you've got the luxury of today, I mean... That's hard, hard physical work. Yeah, I mean, really hard, because... To, 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 I mean, I've owned a 1937 taxi, and, and driving it is no mean feat, let me tell you. It is extremely hard work. You can go out and drive it for three hours, and it feels like you've done 18 hours in a modern taxi. Well, you, well you've got to remember that the, 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 the main age demographic of taxi drivers t- tends to be the gentleman in his... Mid, mid, middle-aged gentleman from about the age of 40 to 60 is the main demographic. Is that because it took the first 20 years to pass the knowledge? Uh, probably, yeah. Or that people have done something else when they left school and then decided, you know, if they've become made redundant or their, their, their occupation. Like, look, look what happened in the print. Um, a lot of printers ended up becoming taxi drivers. A lot of firemen, you find, become taxi drivers because they can retire at quite an early age. They become taxi drivers. So... I think that's the main reason that the demographic is, is slightly older. It is changing now. There's a lot more... You could call it a lot more cosm- cosmopolitan, where you've got a lot more cultures within the taxi trade, whereas Ken Livingston described it at one time as a ma- white male mafia, which was totally wrong. But it did have a reputation of being a racist trade, didn't it? It did. But the funny thing is, the trade's not really racist. You know, you pick up people from all walks of life. The only thing I will say with that is you do... Obviously, throughout your life as driving a, driving a taxi, you do encounter problems. Um, and if one particular culture or whatever causes you more problems, you do tend to be more wary of picking people up from that culture or, or, or that sort of ethnicity or however you pronounce it. But, you know, you've got drivers in the trade now from every single country in the world... The number of women drivers, female drivers, in the trade is on the increase quite dramatically. Um, is it for a woman who's got children? Oh, you know, it's, that sounds really sexist, but traditionally, women stay at home, look after the children, men go to work. I know that's changing quite a lot now, but it, you know, if a woman's at home or a, or a man's at home looking after the children, it's an ideal job because you can take the children to school, go to work for a few, for a few hours, go and pick the children up, take them home. And then if the other partner's at home, you can go back out to work for a couple of hours. So, so job, job share thing as well, you could presumably well, do. Yeah, basically. It, it just gives... The main attraction to a lot for a lot of people to this job is the flexibility that it gives you. It gives you an awful lot of flexibility. You can go to work when you want to go to work, for how long you want to go to work. The only limiting factor being, you know, don't drive when you're tired, which we're all quite well aware of, and if we get tired, we stop driving. We were hitting some um, a bit of a myth-busting note there mm. to do with how fares are charged. You know I'm going to ask you about going south of the river, but I, I wondered about other myths that exist around the cab trade. Um, south of the river. Right, let's tackle that first. <laughs> right, if I didn't go south of the river, I'd never get home. So I've actually been one of the strange taxi drivers that's always preferred going south of the river to going north. I think the reason that that came about was during the sort of 80s, 70s, early 80s, 
there was so much work around in central London. You know, it was more economic to continue working short fares all the time around the west end in the city than take a longer job up to Hampstead or, or going south of the river. When I became a taxi driver, a lot of the older drivers would say, uh, what do you want to go south for? You don't get a job back. Well, they remember the years when you'd go up to Hampstead and you'd immediately get a job coming back down into the west end. When I started driving, that didn't happen. All you'd do is, as you're going up to Hampstead, is hit a load of traffic through Camden and, and everywhere else. Whereas if you went south of the river, you never hit any traffic. So I was a strange one. I preferred going south because I could get back quicker, back into the work quicker. That's, I mean, that's working nights. Working days is slightly different. But yeah, we love going south of the river. Never, one, never refused people going south of the river. So pockets of gentrification have got to be good news all around. I'm thinking, for example, Brixton comes to mind straight away, where that's climbed up a little bit recently. Well, Brixton, Clapham, Bermondsey, you know, they're all being sort of gentrified to a, well, quite, quite an extent. So, yeah, I mean, it is good news for the cab trade that you're taking people all over the place. But the implication being that taking a cab is a sort of a, a luxury choice. I think, go back years, yeah, it would have been, but... I don't think that's really the case these days. I mean, the advent of certain apps have brought price into question. But if you went if you went back six, seven years, our mixture of passengers was was right across the board from everyone from the, the richest in London right the way down to the ordinary working person in London. And I would say that the ordinary working person in London is probably a bigger cab user than anybody else. What other myths do we need to put to bed? We don't carry a bale of hay in the boot anymore. <laughs> Is that really a myth? There's, there's no horse anymore. We don't have a horse under the bonnet. It was uh, still law until a few years ago that we were supposed to carry a bale of hay in, hay in the boot. For real? Yep. And uh, and a bucket. A bucket. Uh, the bucket was to feed the horse. And the, uh, <laughs> the bale of hay was obviously to feed the horse. Was, was there any law about actually having a horse? Uh, no. No. <laughs> because we didn't need it once we had an engine. But there's also an old law that says that um, you can stop a policeman who should provide you with shelter with his cape um, so that you can pee up the rear near side back wheel of the cab. Being that originally that's where the bucket would have been kept on a horse-drawn carriage, so you could pee in the bucket. But you needed a good idea to keep the bucket then, yes. Yeah, you needed to be sheltered by a policeman's cape. Problem being, trying to find a policeman that's actually carrying his cape these well, days. Presumably, you need to carry a cape as well as a bucket. Yeah, yeah. Have you <laughs> have you tried exercising your right? Uh, no, no, I don't think I would. No, <laughs> not one. I think you know, just go and find a petrol station with a garage is a lot easier than finding a policeman with a cape. Shall we build our history? Because you hear a lot about the role of the emergency services during the wars. I can't remember ever having heard anything about the cab trade during the wars. I wonder what I mean. It lights out for a start on the top of the cab. Well, a lot of cabs, a lot of taxis were seconded um, into the auxiliary fire service during the Second World War um, and fitted with pump trailers and ladders on their roof. So, and they would also carry the driver would drive to the to the fire unless um, it was south of the river. Yeah, unless it was South River, obviously. Um, and basically acted as an auxiliary fireman. So the London taxis played a big part in the Second World War with helping to put out fires from the bombing of London. And there was quite a number of London taxi drivers actually killed during the Second World War. You're right, because you'd have been topsides when the bombing's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, they did, they did play a big part. And obviously a lot of brave men 
that couldn't go off and fight for their country were uh, were doing their part by offering their cab and their services as, uh, for the fire brigade, the fire service. The 20th century is all about motorisation, presumably. Maybe this is where we call in your specialist knowledge because you have a fleet of taxis, some pretty old ones. What can we say about the way the cab trade has evolved in terms of the vehicles um, it uses? I think that if I remember the way the history went correctly, the, the first uh, motorised taxis were an electric taxi called a hummingbird, so named because of the, the noise they used to make as they went along the road. didn't last many years, and then the Unic taxi came around in about 1912, it's spelt U-N-I-C. That was a petrol-driven taxi. And then you've, you've got the likes of um, the Austin Low Loader and Austin High Lot. After that came the FX3, um, then obviously the exit FX4, which I think is the, the model that most people... If you, if you talk about London Taxi, the FX4 stroke fairway is the model that would spring to people's minds if you, if you said, can you know, close your eyes and imagine a London Taxi... I think that's the shape that most people would remember as being a London taxi. Can you sketch it for us? When, when are we talking, by the way? Um, it was developed... Uh, first one went on the road in 1959 um, as an FX4. It then changed to an FX4R, FX4S+, Plus, uh, eventually becoming a fairway when it was made wheelchair accessible. As I look out of the cab's windows here, we're seeing cabs everywhere, but you're saying that not this design. Not what should we be thinking instead? Basically, the one previous to this, it was on the road until 1997, had a Nissan engine in the end fitted, and there's only one, I believe, left licensed on the road in London now. That's probably why you can't see one in here. Am I right in thinking it had the sort of the raised, the smooth raised sides up each side of the bonnet? Sort of, yeah. It didn't have separate mudguards as the previous model had. It was more of a, quite a bulbous look. Yeah, it sort of looked like it belonged in the 60s. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think I know that. 50s, 60s gangster type. Yes, right, Ant Hill mob territory. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Got you. Yeah. And really popular with drivers, especially the last model, which had the Nissan engine, because the engine was solid as a rock, you know, it was indestructible virtually. And then, for some reason, they changed the shape, became the TX1, which is the, the earlier version of the taxis you're seeing on the road now. And how do they compare to previous models? The TX1 had a Nissan engine. A lot of people didn't like the shape to start with. They called it a Teletubby because it looked a bit uh, Teletubby-ish or like an... Because the rear lights became came off of uh, a Nissan Micra, they uh, said it looked like a Nissan Micra on steroids, you know. But I think it's, it's grown on people now. It's accepted as being the norm, you know, the, the, the London taxi iconic shape. Um, it's gone through three different incarnations of it, TX1, TX2, now the TX4. The shape is going to change when the electric vehicle comes out. Yeah, it's going to be slightly different. It looks slightly squashed compared to these. Um, still keeping the similar sort of lines. See, when they developed the TX1, they wanted to keep the, the familiar look of a taxi. So that's why the headlights are in the same place, got the same sort of grille as the, the previous fairway and FX4. And that basically follows the very similar lines to the fairway, but it's slightly bigger. Not not a lot, only by a couple of inches, and the, the roof height is slightly bigger, and the doors open slightly higher to accommodate wheelchairs more easily. Because obviously, in the fairway, wheelchair users have to duck their head to get in, whereas in one of these, they don't. 
now this is going to be a difficult question I suspect for you to answer given your established position within the cab trade but it seems to me like uh, you've got a pincer movement going on the, on the one hand the various uh, private and app based cab companies on the other Elon Musk and his self driving vehicles and also, it struck me when you were talking about doing the knowledge that the knowledge is not a thing of this time, really, when everybody expects everything downloadable and instant and the amount of investment that it would take somebody to get to that bar is kind of anachronistic in a way. How long has the cab driver got? It's a really difficult question, really good question. Um, with regards to the knowledge, people say it can be replaced by a satellite navigation system. I've got a bio, I've probably got a bias view on that. And my view is that I don't think it can. Number one, a satellite navigation system can take you to a postcode. But when you've got the drunk girl on a Friday night that says, take me to Notting Hill, you know, by the church on the corner, I want to go to the restaurant called so-and-so, but I don't know its proper name, I don't know how to spell it, how's the sat-nav going to get them there? Whereas the taxi driver will. Also... Take somewhere like Oxford Street, for example. Any one time in Oxford Street, there can be up to 500 taxis picking up and dropping off people at the same time. When a person gets in a taxi, as you know, you jump in, you tell the driver where you want to go. Even if he can't think of it instantly, he knows roughly what direction he's got to be heading in. So off he sets straight away. Yeah? But basically, you jump in, your bum hits the seat, and you're on your way. Replace that with 500 private hire cars who don't know their way around London. The person gets in, they sit down, tell the driver where he wants they want to go. He has to sit there for two or three minutes, tapping it into his sat-nav. Is, is that Battersea with an E or Battersea with a K? Exactly. Yes. So now pick five major locations around London and have the same scenario. What happens to London? You, you end up with total gridlock. Total gridlock all over London. I can't. Obviously, technology is going to become better and better. Yeah, but now hold on. You've inserted humans up that situation. But if you had an interface that could do the job, or you know, it, it doesn't seem to me like it's going to take that much refinement to get it to where we would need to be there. I think we're still a number of years off, and I think there's still going to be a place for taxi drivers. To a certain extent, it's okay taking out the, the person people still want that personal touch and there is still something to be said you know we're going back to what we said earlier about um about characters and people not interacting anymore because of technology social media and things like that you know when when does it come a point when we ended up being directed by machines throughout our total life and would you like to see a life like that, really? No, but you're talking to somebody who, I, if, if I was given half a chance, I'd make every shop the kind of shop where there were several attendants behind the counter and they went and fetched you things and you could have a chat with them about which size you needed. I'm not sure about self-service at all. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if we'd go back to the days where you had petrol stations where you pulled in and, and the bloke ran out and filled your car up for you as well? Yeah, I like the sound of that. Yes, could we go back in time, please? But that's the problem, isn't it? That, that we are looking backwards, potentially, and the, the world's moving the other way. Yeah, I think the problem with a taxi truck is it's very reluctant to change and it needs to change drivers need to embrace technology there is a app being developed by or it's just about to be launched by a group of taxi drivers which is run by taxi drivers for taxi drivers for the benefit of those drivers um, the costs are not going to be as much as some of the other apps to the driver so hopefully if drivers embrace that 
that will become the app for Londoners to use if they want to use a London taxi. Yeah, OK, so this this has been something that's... I'm sure it's been on people's radar to some degree, that alongside... Well, we've got to say Uber, otherwise we can't have the conversation. Yeah. Alongside that, there have been, it seems, attempts to model something that's a bit like that for the cab trade, but it seems like there's been several competing versions and none of them have quite made the impact somehow. Do you know why that would be? Well, originally we had Halo... Uh, if, if we go back to the start, as, it, as Uber was being developed, we had an app called the London Taxi app, which wasn't fully developed. It was developed by a cab driver and and, uh, and an app guy. They didn't have a lot of money. It was a fantastic app, really good app. wasn't quite finished, didn't have a payment gateway on it. They basically ran out of money before they could do the payment gateway. After that, along came Get, who basically got to the, got to the start point before Halo did, originally called Get Taxi. Not quite sure about them. They seem to be more interested in running their own business than the taxi trade itself, which is obviously what people are in business to do, is to, is to make money. But I think sometimes with, a, with something like that, it's got to be a two-way partnership. It can't be all one way. And I think get to a certain extent, want to dictate slightly to the driver rather than listen to the driver. Halo came along and was a long time launching... Um, took the trade by storm, took London by storm, did really, really well, and then decided to have their Ratna moment where they decided to take on private hire vehicles as well as taxis. It was a big, big mistake for them. The whole business fell apart. They tried it for a year or so and then made an announcement that they would be going back to black cab only. They picked up a little bit of business, but I think the damage that was done at that point where customers weren't getting serviced by the app as well a lot of drivers left um, I think that damaged they, they've never been able to recover from that also there's a lot of call from drivers that, that the cab trade needs to own its own app it needs to be in control of its own app so that we can give the customers the best service we want and people out there think that drivers are only in it for what they can earn. I mean, everybody goes to work to earn as much money as they possibly can. But the vast majority of taxi drivers in London, as I said earlier, are really passionate about what they do. They want to give the customer a good service. They want to be there when the customer wants them. The only thing we cannot control to a certain extent is our price because we're governed by the amount of vehicle, the, the, the vehicle that we're told to drive, the amount of money that costs us, the fuel efficiency of that vehicle. And don't forget, we're driving around a vehicle that's wheelchair accessible and can carry any form of disabled passenger, which most private hire vehicles can't do. Most people in London are quite happy to put their children in a taxi with a taxi driver on their own because they know that taxi drivers are trusted and honest. So that there's a lot to be said for that sort of thing. So hopefully if this app that the drivers are developing is it's just basically called taxi app if it takes off and the drivers get behind it it will be the app to use in london it will be the app for passengers to use because there'll be more drivers on that app than any other app the, the good thing about it is if it's a an app for the benefit of the cab trade the app can do things like offer promotions reduced fares and things like that because it doesn't need to make a profit it's not got no shareholders, no investors that it's got to pay back. So any surplus money in the bank account can be used to promote to the passengers, offer discounted prices, you know, uh, promotions if used for the first time, free ride and things like that. And that's what it's looking towards doing. 
we did attempt to do it a couple of years ago, but it, it sort of fell by the wayside because we was let down by the person developing the app. But it's, it's such a shame because it seems, in a way, so obvious and, and quite kind of simple in a way. I don't know if you ever take the bus anywhere. I can remember, what, five years ago, we didn't have those apps, certainly not reliable ones, that would tell you when the next bus is actually coming. It's all very well what the timetable says, but this will tell you exactly how far the bus is. And it, it reminds me of you know, back in the day when you were expecting a phone call in your home and you had to wait by the phone at the agreed time for the phone to ring. And it's kind of like that hailing a black cab at the moment, isn't yeah. it? As you stand by the side of the street and you hope that a black cab's going to come and all you really need is a map with some moving dots showing you uh, where the cab is and a button to press to alert them to your presence see that, that was the good thing about halo when they first started they did really capture the, the, the london traveling public because we was picking up jobs from places that we'd never never picked up people from and the problem with a taxi is you know you can go out and find one on the street on main, many main roads yeah that's fine in the summer when it's nice and warm out it's, you know you don't mind strolling down to the main road to just stand there and hail a cab down but when it's in the winter and it's pouring down with rain, freezing cold, the, that passenger can't see round the corner to see if there's a taxi coming. Whereas the app gives them that ability, and it gives the driver that ability to see round the corner to see that there's a passenger that wants a taxi there. And it marries the two together. And I think that the thing about, you know, you mentioned Uber earlier, the thing about apps like Uber is it makes travelling more convenient for people. The app makes it more convenient. Also, you know, let's be blunt about it, people these days have become bloody lazy. Yeah, and they want everything brought to them as quick as they can for as cheap as possible. And the youngsters these days live their life on their mobile phone. And it's that age group that we've really got to try to capture as a, as a trade. And the only way we're going to do that is by using app-based technology. We're coming towards the end of our time. I know you do a podcast for the cab trades called Cab Chat, and I wonder what you're chatting about. We, we basically talk about anything, any issues going on in the London taxi trade. Um, so weekly, we, we do a weekly show called Cab Chat. We discuss what's going on that week, anything that's coming up. What, what sort of thing? What's going on? What's going on at the moment? Um, the mayor has just brought out an action plan for London for London taxi drivers. So we were talking about that this week. The, the demonstrations that were organised by the various driver orgs have nearly all been called off, which is good news for London. So... We was talking about that. Um, we was talking about the Disney trip, obviously, at the weekend. That oh, that's just, just happened, right? Yeah, we take. Um, the, well, it's, it's organised by the Worshipful Company of Hackney Carriage Drivers. It's called the Magical Taxi Tour. If you want to look it up on uh, MagicalTaxiTour dot com or on Facebook, Facebook dot com forward slash Magical Taxi Tour. We take uh, seriously ill children with life limiting illnesses uh, for a short break away from their world of therapy to Disneyland in Paris in a hundred taxis supported by the City of London Police, the French Gendarmes, the London Ambulance Service and the AA. Um, it's quite a spectacle to see when we travel down to Dover and across to France. But, but this is well south of the river. <laughs> well south of the river, well south of the channel. Um, and it is, it's just such a fantastic feeling you get when you see those children walk into the park in Disneyland. It, it gives you a warm feeling inside knowing that you've given these children the chance to do something that without the support from the ambulance service because we take the medics from the hospitals as well hmm. without all that support that's a, a trip they may not have been able to make because obviously some of them don't go on to lead long lives so we, we give them the ability to to make that make that journey have a bit of fun a bit of a break it also gives both parents a break to a certain extent because one parent comes whether that's the man or, or, or you know the husband or the wife or the mother or the father 
Um, we used to see that it was always always the mum that went, but now we're seeing more increasingly more fathers are coming because obviously they might be at home looking after the children while, while the, the mum works. So because they've got the driver looking after the children with them, it gives them that, that little bit of a break and it also gives the other parent a bit of a break at home away from what is, if you've got sick children, 24-hour-a-day constant care. Um, all the funds are raised by the Worshipful Company of Hackney Carriage Drivers. Um, costs around £150,000 a year to put it on. P&O sponsored a ferry for us, give us the ferry crossing free of charge. And it's just a fantastic weekend. Really is. Really is great. Thank you for doing that. Well, no, it's, it's uh, just giving something back. It's, uh, I've got a personal interest in it. But that's another podcast. <laughs> on a more cheery note, uh, on, a more, on a more frequent note, uh, weddings, how often? Uh, every weekend. I mean, I say it's more cheery, but we've, we've both seen the state that a wedding party can get into. Uh, yeah, especially after the after the reception. And, um, you're, and you're happy to uh, to funnel these people into your cab? Yeah, not normally when they're drunk. But, um, yeah, during the daytime, we, we pick up the bride, take her to the ceremony, and then on to the reception, bride and groom on to the reception. I've got a lot of old taxis. We've got a lot, we use a lot of taxi drivers around London. They've got white cabs or a lot of older taxi drivers that have got vintage taxis as well. And we, we offer basically a wedding car service using London taxis. Um, it is, it is enjoyable because you're always picking up mainly happy people all the time. It's something different from driving a taxi. I mean, I love driving a taxi. I think it's the best job in the world. The thing that gets me down there is the traffic in London. It's, it's, the congestion is the thing that gets me down. I was never one really to rank. I always cruise the streets to a certain extent, which is probably the wrong thing to say. But, but yeah, I, I, I love driving a taxi. And it's just an extension of taxi driving for me. It's something within the same industry. Because we've had the congestion charge... And it sounds as though that's not doing all it needs to do in terms of clearing the place out. What's the next big move, Jerry? I think the next big move is the, the ultra-low emission zone in 2020 when they start banning a lot of vehicles from coming in London, into central London anyway. Um, except for the grotty old diesel cabs. Yeah, except for the grotty old diesel cabs. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to... It's going to stop a lot of people from coming into central London. I, I, I don't think a lot of Londoners actually realise uh, to what extent it's going to affect them. And it's probably going to be a bigger outcry as it gets nearer the time. Because it's, it's, it's fine, from my view, it's fine bringing these rules and regulations in. And it's OK for people that can afford to change their vehicles. But for those that can't afford to change their vehicles, that may be on hard times or whatever, and, and, and you know... A lot of people rely on their vehicle to get around if they're if they're slightly disabled or you know they've got mobility issues or whatever. It's really going to affect them sort of people, and, and there needs to be more consideration given to people like that with with exemptions and things like that. And I don't think they've really thought about that at all. But there must be cabbies who are rubbing their hands together because surely this is going to be a shot in the arm for the cab trade just when you need it. It's funny; it's quite the opposite because of the cost um, involved with the, with the electric vehicles and. We're being forced to buy a vehicle in 2018 that isn't even on the road yet. You know, we're, talk- we're only talking just under 18 months away, and we haven't seen one on the road. So it's an untested technology. So we're going to be guinea pigs, basically, by paying a lot of money for something that's not being tested. I don't think that's the fault of the manufacturer. I think it's a combination of things. 
and it's just something we're going to have to deal with. You know, we, we've dealt with other other issues, and it's we've got to move forward. So it, it, it will happen. We will get past it, and we will carry on. On which positive note we could end, but I have one more question, cool. Columbo style, that I wanted to ask. With your uh, eye in the rearview mirror, I wanted to know what are the signs that you're most aware of? What was the insider tricks and tips to spotting a dodgy cab customer? I think you need to spot them before they get in the cab. <laughs> not, not in the rearview mirror. If, you, if they're in the rearview mirror, late. it's too late. I mean, is it, is it, there's a very good one. I'll just give you one example to finish on. If you're driving along the street, someone puts their arm out and you, you suspect that they are drunk, yeah? Never stop before you get to them because you find they'll walk towards you. Now, if they walk in towards you and they're staggering all over the place and you decide to drive off and leave them there, they've got the opportunity to punch the cab or kick the cab, which has happened on numerous occasions. So what you do is you drive past them and stop. Then if they start staggering towards you, you drive off and they've got no recourse, uh, no, no, no opportunity to kick or punch the taxi. Good, OK, that's good information. I suspect sharing more would, uh, would be too much. Yeah, it's uh, letting trade secrets out. <laughs> Jamie Owens, thanks very much. No problem, it's been a pleasure. That's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Jamie Owens. Thanks to, to Jim Rainbird and James Drury. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.